Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Bing, one of the hosts of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Professor Akiko Takeyama, Takeyama again about her new book, which is, which is published this summer, Involuntary Consent in the Illusion of Choice in Japan's Adult Video Industry. Professor Akiko Takeyama is a professor in Women, Gender and Sexuality Studies at University of Kansas. Her research interests encompasses gender, sexuality and class dynamics in the context of neoliberal globalization, which are all carefully discussed in all her works. Today, we are going to talk about one of them. Professor Akiko Takeyama, welcome to the show again. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be back with you, Bing. I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself again or or what's new since last time last we spoke and how this book came about. Yes. Um, So I'm still professor of women, gender and sexuality studies at the University of Kansas. Um, and also, I'm director of Center for East Asian Studies, uh, which is a federally funded national research center at the University of Kansas to promote East Asian uh, languages, cultures, and studies. And um, from uh, coming uh, November, I'll be the uh, president of um, Association of Feminist Anthropologists in American Anthropological Association for the next two years. So a lot on my plate, um, but I'm mostly enjoying uh, my new responsibilities, learning a lot of things and um, kind of making a shift from the uh, book work to a little bit more administrative or more co- collaborative um, research with other people uh, right now. Um, if we come back to the book, I we you know we all wish to know how you come up with the idea to develop this sort of study in Japan's other video industry because I guess not there was never a so thorough study or research on this phenomenon of society, this community as well, I think. So how do you plan it? How do you, what what made you think you could go in deeper? To yeah, study? Um, sure, definitely. Uh, so um, actually quite a bit journey to, uh, end up studying Japan's adult video industry because as you and some of the audience would know that my first book was 
uh, largely Japan's uh, sex industry uh, through the lens of Japan's host club establishment where young men escort or entertain Japanese women mostly uh, in exchange for money. So for the second book, I thought I'm going to go beyond that sexuality studies and even go beyond the national border of Japan so that I wanted to see more of the intersection of political economy and law since my first book focused on more political economy and I also wanted to go beyond the national border since my first book focused on mostly Tokyo and Japan. Um, so I started to study about human trafficking issue in Japan and um, yeah, t- human trafficking uh, had the three components um the, the the labor trafficking, sexual trafficking, sex trafficking, and then organ trafficking. And uh, organ trafficking is extremely difficult to study. So I focused on mainly um labor migration, labor uh trafficking and then sex trafficking. And I just started my preliminary research and I found in 2015, when I was doing my field work at one of the NGOs, where a hotline was held to respond to um, needs of the people. And unexpectedly, many of the call were from Japanese women who are seeking for uh, help by claiming that they are in trouble to um, get up to get out of their contract from uh, adult video performance, and soon enough, there was a court case um, held uh, at the, the Tokyo District Court, which made uh, uh, sensationally uh, the issue public, and so this nameless issue just kind of discussably. Uh, called the issue of trouble with adult video or coercive video taking or something officially named by mainly mass media, including like NHK, the equivalent to BBC and other uh, network newspaper and magazines officially called a forced performance in adult video. And soon enough, the Japanese government picked up this issue to identify it's a form of violation of human rights, because women's rights are after all human rights. And then um, U.S. Um, uh, Department of State reported this as a, a case of human trafficking in 2017. So all of a sudden, I was again sucked into this sex trafficking unexpectedly in the sense. Um, but since then, I started to really think about the bridge between my first book and the second book. Essentially, my first book talked about both young male hosts and their clients. They sort of self-exploit themselves in the name of their choice. So they repeatedly said that nobody forced them to work for the male host case, we hours or this precarious uh, work. 
and a woman's the case, they claim nobody really forced them to spend that much money or even prostitute themselves to bring more money to their designated host. So essentially, I had this question about anything that is not overtly coerced goes into the category of self-determination or the choice. And surely enough, um, these young women who were recruited on the street to perform an adult video similarly said that they were not forced to perform, but somehow they ended up being in trouble by signing a contract or by being responsible to deliver what they promised. So that's how I came up with um, this uh, unique side of Japan's the video industry as a window into um, what I call involuntary consent to look into not just individual consent or choice, but rather shed light on the structural inequality, including the particular form of political economy and legal system that does not address structural violence. I see. I Yeah, I think um, I can see when I was reading the book, I can see a lot of connection with your previous book, especially when you're setting up again in in Tokyo in the Japan's neo, uh, neoliberal globalization, the economy. It's also about, for those AV actresses, they, it's also about uh, getting job, getting hope and having the dream to be a star. It's so related to... Um, this, this, what the what the problems in the society it's it's actually a, a very a specific and unique to tap into these two communities like that they are yeah they many people would question them why can't they leave but it sounds like it feels like they agree to do it but when i reading it um it's it's all resonate with our own situation as well, being powerless, um, being, um, uh, yeah, um, I I find it, I can see, I can tell a lot of your own emotions, inserted in this book as well. So I just wondering, you know, about your field work when doing the study, how how could you manage all your emotions and how did you um, find a way to to get what you want from, from the interviewees, like the managers, the agency, and also the producer? Because actually, uh, even the actress themselves, they have a lot of way to swirl around to avoid your question. I'm just wondering in your field work, how is it? how is it possible to make them really talk and and how yeah how did you get get the data that to be able to help you oh yeah so as i said i started out doing my preliminary field work at uh, local ngos uh, focusing on human trafficking and other um, issues um, so it was fairly easy to hear their voices 
since they have already um, their missions, agendas, and so on and so forth, and fairly easy to uh, have interviews, say, human rights lawyers or these activists. On the other hand, it was much harder to hear voices um, or learn about experience of the people in the field. In the sense, just like my first book, I am not the insider of that business or field. And on top of that, I did my research at the height of this um, the panic, kind of moral panic that the ordinary girls are, quote unquote, uh, coerced uh, into adult videos. So the people in that industry did not really trust any of the media or anybody, including the scholars, to speak. So that was really a difficult part for me. Um, um, but just uh, I started to um, build a relationship, like more rapport. So I just uh, was frank enough to say I'm not writing for the adult video industry, but I need voices to reflect. Um, so my job is not um, just bash uh, adult video industry because to me, this, as you mentioned, involuntary consent is not just peculiar to adult video industry, but all of us more or less experience this in the day-to-day experience, especially under COVID, so many essential workers uh, could not say no, and then they couldn't walk away. And so they had to expose themselves to uh, the essential work. Um, Similarly, like the professors included, they had to accommodate all these needs despite um, a lot of difficulties on their own end. So to make this uh, connection, adult video industry to uh, to people's everyday life, I explained this is not just about um, sensationalized, the malpractice of adult videos, but rather to think about the larger framework itself. And then some of the people started to get that logic. And then um, some in the adult video industry felt that they actually didn't really have any venues um, to speak their own voices. So in order for them to speak to the public, I could be the uh, means for them to deliver their voices. So once I secured um, a handful of people to speak to me, it became more or less snowballing. And I ended up interviewing uh, adult video uh, model scouts agency and um, video makers, directors, and uh, distribution company, as well as male fans of the adult video. So that's how um, I did my field work. I, I, I could tell, I, I felt that it could be really hard to be a relationship with them because as, as you say, use, use your phrase, they are many of them, the power side, the powerful side actually are an alliance of middle-aged men and because they are all kind of grew up in the, at the time when Japan is experiencing employment ice age, you know, or when 
Japan is also the society is all transforming from a full time late uh employment to very to more casual employment. I think. Do you think? I I think it's similar to the hosting club. Like they are all promoting these kind of sexual labor to some extent. That's why. It, Maybe it's good to. I think it's so unique that you pick the contract making as a as a lens to look through all this stuff because it involves a lot of law terms and kind of rules and maybe a lot of legal ish legal related uh, documents and stuff. And how did you manage or combine them together? What kind of um, research method or in what way you try to bring them all together? Yeah, so in terms of the method, I think uh, I just uh, picked a couple of uh, points I could address from what you mentioned. The first set of the question would be uh, interviewing these men uh, who came of age uh, Japan's employment ice age and ever being the non-regular workers and because of that who are um, emasculated and I found many of the male fans uh, like that and um, so just but uh, interestingly I listened to them and then uh, the chapter five addresses male fans unexpectedly they really open to tell me their side of the stories, including their vulnerabilities um, and uh, so on. So that part, that was kind of uh, surprising to me too, to hear that kind of, of um, um, like a dark story included, how much they uh, shared with me. Um, but then I found to, for, to some extent, some of them took this as a kind of therapeutic process to, to talk about that kind of objectifying their past and then kind of let go. So um, for that matter, it was uh, useful for me to learn about their experience. And to some extent, that was a process for them to digest about their life. Um, and the second part, which is about contract making, uh, you are right. Um, usually contract making itself is confidential. Nobody really do it in the public usually. And the contract itself is kept confidentially. Um, so I didn't really have access to that process per se or the legal document per se, except some of the... Um, accident quote-unquote accidents because um, some of the people uh, happen to have other people's legal forms for example like adult video agency who uh, quit the job uh, owned some of the old documents so I had access to to that um, um, but in general that part was really a difficult part. So I had to heavily rely on the narratives. And something really interesting to me was the contract making in adult video is pretty much null and void to start with because the uh, Tokyo District Court clearly declared that 
any sort of sexual activities cannot be forced, including uh, sexual performance on camera. So anybody who signed a contract can freely walk away by saying, no, this is it. But if that's the case, why do people make a contract? Uh, that becomes a question. And then I found a fascinating logic. One, this adult video industry uh, shifted to more uh, from 3D business, underground 3D business to uh, content industry in this kind of global creative industry thriving in 2000 um, with new information technology. And two, similar to the first point that contract making itself makes the uh, industry look more transparent and business-like. And the industry really focused on their uh, business as a uh, intellectual property uh, management or production rather than sexual labor or something like that. And um, also having a contract itself worked for the industry itself because uh, as a kind of technique, um, since lay people do not really have a distinctive idea or clear idea how the contract work or what what they sign on is essentially null and void in the sexual context. The industry people could say, hey, you sign on a contract. So if you violate, there's the uh, penalty fee involved in or you will be sued. So as such, um, uh, some of the talent agency, the problematic one use a contract as quote unquote in their term, uh, empty threat. threat. Um, so, those are the things I uh, learned from uh, the industry about a contract making. I find I I find it quite um, surprising to notice there's a case in chapter three, like the, when you're talking about the, the talent agencies, like one former former AV actress like Miata Miata, she even saying, "Oh, there is there is no." enforceabilities in contract making. I, I actually wanted to know, did you still remember that when you were yes, talking I to do, her? Yes, I do. I do. I was just yeah, like uh, my jaw. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. How how did it really, what, why would, can you guess what, not guess, just, you know, when you were doing this, when you were talking to her, how, you know, what kind of energy can you feel from her being a former a uh, other video actress, did, did you think when people have the power, when they have became powerful, then they started to forget all they they can't uh, being empathetic towards those who are similar to her to herself in the past or. Is that because the economy kind of blind people's capitalist system, blind people's eyes? I don't know. How how did you feel doing interviews with when you will come across these situations? First of all, I think two responses I could think of. The first one is frustration and um 
many people in this industry, as well as I think other parts of the business in Japan today, people have more individualistic discourses. So it becomes individual responsibility, i.e. actresses should know what they are signing on rather than um, them informing the details. So this individual responsibility quickly um, turns into victim blaming. So that part was really uh, frustrating to me. Even I tried to insert um, or identify some of the paradox, the problematic on it, but then they always say, unless somebody forced you something, everything is up to individual decision-making. So that is exactly the neoliberal logic. And I just learned how pervasive that is. And so like that, that wasn't my first reaction, but the longer I did my research and the more people I interviewed, I also found there is a hierarchy within adult video industry and also that adult video industry is nested to the mainstream Japanese society. So the uh, talent agency who are actually the people who you dart your hand, their hands, essentially they are kind of brokers to bring the labelers to the directors, uh, video directors and production companies. And those are the people, the directors of production company, the called AV makers are the more of the elite people who are, you know, have this uh, creativity skill set or even the marketing, people in the suit with a college degree, just working this as a part of uh, emerging uh, creative industry. And here are talent agencies who are mostly high school dropout or a juvenile delinquent who are dealing with this. And those are the people who risk uh, some of the things to bring the women surely to the uh, video studio. So that uh, dynamic really made me think about another layer of the capitalist system within this uh, age, this uh, adult video industry as a sort of microcosm of the uh, Japanese economy. By that, I mean the capitalist uh, owner, in this case, the video makers do not have to dart their hands uh, like outsource that labor um, dispatch part to someone else so that somebody else is going to be in trouble by the violation of employment and labor law. And uh, the people in the suit can just claim they didn't know where the, the people were coming from. We just focus on the production, the pornography, and the adult video. And pornography itself is protected by the freedom of speech. So in that sense, as much as I was frustrated about these talent agencies and scouts, I became a little bit empathetic. After all, though, the people are easy target of um the social issues rather than uh, the border, um, like elite class. I I think um, 
Yes, I it, it's I think the hierarchy is well described in the book because it's all like the actress first and then the management of them and then I I actually didn't know it was so established as a uh, like a streamlined factory like they do have talent agency and then production and then distribution and then go on even fan meetings and stuff and they and they even when you were mentioning those creative they you know they were labeled or packaged as lab as a creative industry like they even have a job fair at the Waseda University which is <laughs> Uh yeah, I can't I can't really well I think but this is also my bias towards like seeing, you know, how do you define other video industry? Actually it's a quite mature industry. And have you looked into the contract making between the A V the the producers production production company and the talent agencies? to to see uh yes i think you did um because they do have quite a bit of power in um balance between the two sides so the actresses can even become a, a greater victim because of that hierarchy as well so how would you say a bit more about the relationship between the two Besides the t the talent agency and also the production side of it, like those directors, they they don't really want to know where the girls are from while maintaining themselves as a nice Mister Nice that kind of character. Sure. Um. So um, here, uh, temporality would be an interesting element. So I think any commodity, if we think about labor power as a commodity, to sell a commodity is the hardest part. So in that negotiation, um, if you have or the agency has a marketable product, a commodity, i.e. model, they are um, they have upper hands over the video maker, but they don't really have marketable commodity, then they just have to manage to sell the commodity. Otherwise, they don't make any um, profit or the money. So that negotiation was really interesting. So um, the originally the adult video, I mean, sorry, the agency kind of subordinate to the video makers to sell their commodities. But once they sell the commodities, kind of um, the power dynamic changes. And so the adult video makers are the one who decide the uh, performance guarantee, the payment, uh, or how many videos they want to uh, take with that uh, uh, model. And so that power dynamic between two of them, depending upon what elements of the, the, the time trajectory kind of shift the power dynamics, but also two of them are situated in this, uh, the market 
of the adult video industry. So like uh, in the past, really marketable top ranking uh, actresses could have a contract for say like a two, 12 videos to perform with adult video makers. However, because of this um, fluid market, uh, less commitment for the adult video makers is more uh, profitable. So the part of the reason why is, and actually main reason of why is, unlike any other job, I would say adult video actresses are highly commodifiable. The, 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 their commodity value is at the highest when the, they perform in the first video. Their video, uh, the debut video is the most expensive, most marketable, most um, uh, popular one. And from a second on, just um, marketability was the, the sales record drops down unless uh, the actress do more things like more of the hard play or more of the exposure or something. Um, so nowadays, adult video makers make only contract for a debut, for example. That means uh, adult agency, adult video agency, talent agency has to constantly look for modeling uh, contract job. So yes, like these two individuals or the parties have power dynamics, but also their the power dynamic is subject to the market need. And uh, the market need also tied with this uh, advancement of information technology. So uh, it used to be more of the uh, profit lucrative, uh, profit making industry when the medium was based on a video or DVD. But today in the internet age and the streaming, which is based on subscription um, base or even a lot of free video available, um, they don't really make much profit out of licensing um, these online adult videos. So the profit model has changed accordingly. Their relationship uh, changes too. Do you think? Do you think in the end, the adult video industry? might shrink or disappear because of internet? Good question. So um, a, a lot more free content and uh, something that I didn't think about it is like younger generation, including people who work for adult video industry itself, tends to go to find um, free videos online. And so the consumer market seems to be shrinking. And uh, as I mentioned in chapter five, <clears throat> so uh, uh, these strong supporters or fans are in their late 30s or 40s who, <clears throat> excuse me, um, <clears throat> who still purchase these DVDs to contribute to their sales, to go to fun events and shake hands with actresses rather than um, viewing those things. So purchasing DVD has different meanings from the earlier times. If the earlier times they purchased DVDs to watch, 
today these uh, heavy users purchase DVDs to more um, interact with these adult video idols. So I don't really know the future of the adult video industry, but I could say it's now called Shayo Sangyo. It's just kind of declining industry in terms of profit making. Yeah, I think I think because of the male fans that you discuss in chapter five may still keep the industry going for a bit, but because you know, I just noticed you didn't mention the younger consumers, obviously. I I guess they are and also because Japan now has another uh societal issues like younger people they not even just japan i think in china they say or in other maybe it's a because our our world is getting aging um because younger people young people or um they don't treat marriage they don't so devoted into getting married or having kids and some even not interested in sex and that much as before. So how do you have you have you any thoughts on these younger users or what would what what their impact on the industry or what gonna change? Is there gonna be a change in because of these other structural um i could speculate but my book project goal wasn't to to predict that rather i wanted to question this liberal uh, assumption based on uh, autonomy independence equality under the law and many people use that logic to highlight autonomy, self-determination, self-responsibility, and then so on and so forth. And so the more of the society, societal context moved to contract making, uh, including business contract or informed consent um, in the medical uh, service or informed consent, even the academic field to do the interview or any other academic uh, studies. It wasn't the case uh, even like a decade ago so but then people might not really question what it means to uh, sign a contract or give a consent but then this embedded power dynamic uh, to think about who seeks consent and whose interest is protected that was my question, and to think about that power dynamics itself, despite the fact this liberal assumption is two of the autonomous people come to the table at the same time and shake hands and um, you know discuss and negotiate to come to an agreement. But this adult video industry case shows how these contract making is already pre-staged or pre-set. And contract seekers or the agreement seekers are people in the position of power if that is uh, like a male partner in a sexual consent or doctors in the medical consent 
or academic scholars in the informed consent. And then uh, consent givers are the people in the socially vulnerable positions, like somebody who would be vulnerable in the sexual setting or patient or workers. And as such, I, like legal system, which um, is, I think, originally designed to democratize the process can be used for the advantage of the people in the power. So like exploit people legally as long as they get a consent or sexually abuse other people as long as they get consent um, and so on and so forth. So that was uh, my main concern. So I didn't really think through about where Japan is going or uh, where the adult video industry would end up. Rather, I wanted to see this liberal assumption, uh, which people more or less on the global scale agree upon that nobody overtly say, I am critical about freedom. <laughs> I don't want to choice. I don't need uh, autonomy kind of thing. But uh, when we peel the uh, superficial layer, the power dynamics or the structural inequality, which is within that liberal discourse are uh, marginalized to, uh, to the edge uh, and then not even discussed. And so to me, the current political economy based on neoliberal discourses, profit-seeking or uh, entrepreneurial uh, engagement, and then even the legal system, which solely based on the uh, citizenship and uh, uh, single citizens rather than dealing with the structural inequality or structural violence, cannot really address the larger issue um, for the people uh, socially marginalized or vulnerable to certain abuse and exploitation um, needed to be revisited. Uh, so, so, so that was uh, my uh, claim and argument. And uh, yes, yeah, I think I think it's easy to go in tangent if we keep talking about the video industry because it has so much factors or elements in this industry you know you can see structural violence you can see the and the thing the other thing i want to mention because you can see the gendered specific issue in within and also with previous state previous book on the hosting side apparently the host they also with the male avia actors they they don't really share or the concerned I'm not, well, I'm not. Yeah, I, I think they they don't really sh often share the concern or the the fear that a female counterpart do. Like females always more emotional, you know, attackable. Like I identity reveals, um, and all other emotion. Uh, how to say family? You know, many other. <laughs> quite personal, mental, mentally destroy the issues while men mainly just more on did I perform well or not? Did I, can I get it or not? It's more natural for them to take on the job. Do you do you agree with that or 
how do you feel with gendered issues in yeah so this like the sexual double standard uh is pretty much set from um masculinist perspective so um even both uh, female actresses and then male actors in this case um, have a s- some sort of concerns and worries to cross the line. This is the first video, but um, these women's shelf life are so short. They constantly um, have a like adult video industry, constantly have new faces and um, versus adult, the, the, the male actor, actors can build their careers. So the longer they stay in, their uh, pay would increase and also um, cultivate their uh, career versus women's case. It's pretty much um, uh, short-term, um, uh, like a lucrative job for some women, um, but also the stigma touched to sex work is gendered. So women's case, um, it's always uh, a risk to be exposed to a black male uh, sextortion or public uh, harassment, humiliation, um, including uh, like the dirty image of them are pre-circulated at work or school or the neighborhood so that they are expelled from their um, employment or school or the community even versus men the case um, they don't have that kind of severe discrimination or stigma about what they do uh, some cases these uh, more um, middle-aged Vietnam uh, adult video males are, um, are gaining the enviousness from the other male um, counterparts since they have all these younger women to interact with, the flawless, beautiful girls. Um, so as such, the connotation of sex work are different for men and women. Um, so I do think that what you that is um, pretty much on the spot. I, yeah, I think it's a good book as well. I think it definitely a microcosm of the Japanese society. And, and I feel every chapter about, you know, you can apply to any this industry, then you know, the way you analyze all these circles, you know, like from like a streamline, it can actually, because it's about contract making. It's about consent, like why when you sign up to a job, you need to sign the contract as well. It is so re- relevant to everyone in the world, not just other video industry. But which why is it important? Is because it's also about sexual trafficking, and it's about quite a specific industry and quite mythical in a way industry and about body image. You know, it's it's quite personal in a way too, like. Not many people would tell you, oh, I watch other video all the time. I, I buy them as a product. Oh, I put, especially those male fans, they they want to create, they 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 want to use the the other video or the interaction with the actress to to build up their own confidence in the society. 
which which is really good point an interesting point as well like you remember like the host the majority of the customer of the host actually were also hostess i think that's why i i you know do have you thought thought about why these two groups can always is it because of the economy push them to kind of can get some support from each other because they have similar life experience and they they also share a lot in in life and in the end they that specific industry made them to appreciate each other I don't know yeah I I, I think so too um the the concept of contract making, especially labor contract, is uh, used in many different fields, and um, uh, the the many of the fields in the so-called developed countries, and rely on this liberal logic or more neoliberal market economy have like hierarchy so um yes like a, a handful of people might be really thriving and successful but many on the bottom are struggling with in the name of their choice and they could walk away from their job if they are not satisfied um but uh this involuntary consent really shows especially for many of the women uh, who do not have much experience and young um have so like a two evils like uh, two to two minor or two evils to choose from and even though they choose one out of two extreme cases that becomes their uh, choice. So that in that sense, I feel a lot of uh, similarities in even like a sports um, show, show business, um, any other like uh, web business and so on and so forth. But at the same time, as you said, adult video industry has a peculiar um, uh, stigma, which even complicate their consent or contract making one as you said uh the field itself is pretty much silenced like as a laborer we could complain our day-to-day uh uh the work to to their our family friends or people but um especially i found like sex workers if they try to do so to their family or uh, friends like why don't you quit um so it's always this silencing effect and also the nature of sex work which cannot be uh wage work by law cannot be prostitution uh cannot to be um treated as a part of um um anti sexual violence law in other words there's no legal protection and it has to be done in the name of independent um, uh, freelancing. So that those two things silencing them and also no legal protection really make those people more vulnerable than other people who involuntarily consent to their precarious labor. Yeah, thank you really. Thank you very much for for today. I think we almost 
we need to finish because even though there could be more issues to talk about because to go deep into and please read the book it's a really good book it has to so many case studies and you know vivid colorful ethnographic data and and also with the theory applied into explaining all these cases and snippets of every it's everything actually. So thank you. We just, yeah, we just say a final few words about what you might be working on and yeah, what's your next project about maybe speak a bit about that. Then we can we can let you go, I think. <laughs> okay, great. Um at this point, I am still in the preliminary stage. I don't really know what my um, book project would be like for the third book, but currently I'm working on this collaborative research project of Asian experience in the Midwest of the U.S. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, like the racial discourses have this black and white and sometimes include brown body, but uh, Asian is ever be outside of foreign and honorably uh, uh, white. Therefore, they cannot be the, uh, the victim of uh, racism kind. And uh, there isn't even language to explain about this Asian experience in the frame of racial ethnic. Um, so again, it's kind of related to this um, political economy or legal system um, and also the perception of the people, how the Asianness is assumed to be successful, rich, and um, so on and so forth, but that's a just stereotype. And there's so many different type of Asians who are struggling economically or legally, but they cannot be really included perceptually as um, uh, like a racially challenged uh, population. So that's something I'm interested in, especially like in the U.S., Asian or Asian American, the fast growing racial and ethnic yeah. group. So more of the people that do not really have um, much language to talk about their experience, especially in the Midwest, since most of the Asian populations are U.S. East Coast or West Coast. And uh, people's perception assume that Midwest is uh, empty ground of the uh, uh, Asian population. So that's something I'm working on, um, especially this kind of situation or the microaggression, which doesn't go through the reach the threshold of violence um, that impact mental uh, health of those people. Um, so that's one set. Another set that I'm interested in, more of the climate um, uh, element, how this climate change relates to what I've been doing, this like a political economy, legal system, or the, the population um, marginalized, vulnerable in the society. Thank you. That all sounds really 
so fabulous because I can so relate to that because I'm also an Asian in the UK and the longer I stay, the more foreign I feel as a, even though I'm not like immigrant or the, the after the generation, next generation of the immigrant, but still you stay long enough to have that feeling even from the alienated feeling. So that experience is hard to tell others, even friends, even anyone to express it. And nobody can really relay as well sometimes because of different background as well. So I really looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, we need to have another conversation. Yeah, I'm really interested in learning from your experience too. Thank you. Yeah, I am really appreciate your being here i wish you well and but we must say goodbye to our audience as well okay say goodbye yeah thank you for having me today it was really fun to talk with you as always thank you okay, okay well goodbye see you next time thank you bye see you. See you. bye bye